Oh, it is, it is good to be together. Um, like it has been said, there are a lot of mature themes in today's message. And if, in some ways, if you're just picking and choosing like what you feel like should be said in a church service, you might not pick this chapter from the Bible. Um, we actually believe that he knows our thoughts, he knows our inclinations, and he's written even Genesis chapter 19, not just so we can talk about other people over there, gross people or whatever, but it's all actually written to change us as well. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna try and be appropriate. Um, I, I think that there's a, there's a lot that can be said about this chapter. Um, I'm, I've been mindful this week of, um, if we saw this chapter in its like raw, rawness, um, I think we'd be like, whoa, is this appropriate for a church gathering? And, but I think what we realize is like so often we, we put this kind of like white picket fence view of God and his church and we don't actually get into the darkness that's around us and the darkness that's in us. And this chapter, I wouldn't preach it correctly if we don't feel some of that um, and, and where that takes us. So we're verse one, chapter 19, let's just dive in. Um, and w so we're many, many, many sermons into the book of Genesis. And it's actually, the Bible's not just this like, oh, it's just a collection of individual, it's like Twitter, like tweets, and you just take them as individually. It's actually a narrative that God is writing for all of us. And so this narrative that he's writing, like there's 18 chapters before this that actually we need to know, uh, we need to know God in that way so we understand this chapter. Um, so if you've missed a lot of that, man, listening to the podcast, reading that are uh, good things to be doing as we're driving around town, heading to Ankeny or whatever. But here we are, verse one of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, Please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So the last that we saw, we've seen all, all the people in the story already in the book of Genesis, but the last we saw Abraham's nephew, Lot, Lot's family had gotten so close to Sodom and Gomorrah that when other kings overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's family were swept into that, and Abraham and his farm buddies, his family, um, rose up and they went and conquered those kings who had conquered Sodom. And Abraham and his family had come and rescued and, and had rallied around. And now Lot is back in Sodom. But he's not just like, oh yeah, we live on Fifth Street. He's actually sitting at the city gate of Sodom. And what that means 
is that that's where all of the, the legal stuff happens. That's kind of like town hall because you have walls around a city and the gate is where everybody goes in and out. So the people who are sitting at the gate, Cody, do you want me to go with the handheld? Are we okay? Okay. So the, the people who are sitting at the gate are, are kind of like the judges who are entering and they're like, oh yeah, you can come in. No, you can't go in. Um, so they're, they're sitting at the gate making those decisions, but they're also making decisions for the whole city. So what this means is Lot has become a leader of the community of Sodom. He's part of Sodom's leadership, and Abraham is no longer a part of the story of rescuing Lot. The stuff that's going to happen in chapter 19, it doesn't, know, it doesn't, mean who, doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter how, how strong and, and skilled your buddy is. You're entering territory now that Abraham's like, you're in God's hands now. So two angels show up. Lot knows enough about the things of God to know that these men are special. He never says out loud that they're angels, but he knows that they're special. And we, we don't know right now if he recognizes them as who they truly are, like Abraham. When Abraham encountered these, the same two guys who were with Jesus, if you remember, Jesus before he comes. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus actually came to earth. But Jesus is eternal. He's God. John 1 tells us he made everything that is. So before Jesus actually came in the flesh, Jesus came many times and showed up in human form. And, uh, and so he shows up to Abraham and Sarah with two angels. He's not, Jesus isn't present anymore, but he's present in, in this. Lot shows them hospitality. Now verse four. But before they lay down, before the angels went to bed, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. No is not the word. There, no is a polite word. The men of the city are not fighting for what is good as men should do in a city. The men of the city aren't fathers who are protecting the weak, protecting virtue. We know these two men in the house are angels. And if you think of angels as like a Michelangelo painting where there are these little cute cherubim type things floating in the sky, like please like rid that from your imagination Angels are fearsome creatures that if these men would see them in their full splendor, they would lose control of their body and just collapse and fall. Scripture also teaches us that the roles of angels towards humans are that they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. We learn that later in Scripture. So an angel is meant to be sent. That word angel means a, a, a sent one, a messenger. They're sent by God to serve people towards God. They're also fighters of darkness. 
We know in the book of Daniel that, Mike, the, that the angel Michael said, hey, I was slow getting here because I was fighting with the demonic prince of Persia. So we know that angels are combating darkness on our behalf. And we also know that angels are involved in God's judgment. There are angels that, that part of their role is judgment, just judgment. So here we have angels who have, Abraham saw who they were, fell on his face because they were with God and was falling on, on his face, worshiping Jesus. The angels have, have proclaimed mighty things to Abraham and Sarah. And then they go to Sodom and the men of Sodom have formed a mob and they're demanding to gang rape two angels. These things should not be. I mean, it is the most ridiculous, dark, immoral, nasty. Um, it's like these are angels and they are designed to serve you towards God and you're wanting to do what? Demanding what? So Lot goes out to, uh, look at verse six. Lot went out to the men at the entrance of his house. He shut the door after him and he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them, them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, the angel said, stand back. They said, this fellow came to so sojourn, uh, uh, or the, the men of Sodom say, stand back. And then they say, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge which he was sitting in the city gate, meaning he was a judge in some ways, but now they're pulling this cultural thing of like, well, who are you to judge me? He has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Lot, we're gonna do things to you that are worse than we are planning to do to those angels. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot drew near to break the door down, but the men reached out their hands, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Verse 11, and they struck with blindness, the angels struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And as I was just reading this section over and over, and the way that Lot was in the middle of this, it just made me be like, Lot, what are you doing here? Like, Lot, what are you doing here in this house, in this, like, what? Are, and I was just like, sin is that way. Isn't sin that way? Like, it takes you to a place that makes you ask, like, how did I get here? What am I doing here? How did I get here? It takes us to places where we've become so swallowed up by the lies of sin 
that we don't even realize how far away we are from God's good design for us. We don't realize how far we are away from God's design for our lives, for our health, for healthy sexuality, for healthy goodness, for healthy virtue. Lot doesn't even, I don't think Lot comprehends how far his life is from God's design for him. He's trying to manage the situation. He's trying to manage the unmanageable. Instead of taking this great stand against darkness, he tries to compromise with darkness by suggesting something that's equally as dark. He offers his daughters to this mob. These these things shouldn't be, shouldn't be this way. The angels grab Lot before the mob gets him. They then make all the men blind. And what I think is crazy, that last statement in 11, they wore themselves out groping for the door. That even when two powerful angels can just go like that and they're just blind, they should have recognized the holiness that was acting in their unholiness. They should have recognized the greatness that was before them. They should have felt El Shaddai, God's power. Now what's interesting is God is mentioned all throughout this. And last week we saw El Shaddai is one of the names that God says, hey, this is one of my names. Um, and just like, I mean, it's like he has more than one name. I mean, we, we nickname each other. I have nicknames for my kids that when I'm feeling one thing towards them, I might use a certain nickname. Um, and so God has multiple names that share things about him, of how he's revealed himself to us. El Shaddai is like, I am the powerful one. Nothing, nothing is outside of what I can do. Nothing is impossible with God. Yahweh is the name that was shared with Moses when Moses is like, who, who are you? And Yahweh emphasizes the relationship that God wants to have with humans and that he is a relational God. He wants to be close to us. He's not a faraway God. He is a relational God. Every instance of Lord, you'll see L-O-R-D in all caps, is Yahweh throughout this. The relational God who wants to be close to us is moving towards this situation. And these men should have recognized Yahweh, God's power, his greatness. They should have repented. They should have said, what are we doing? We are blind, like we are literally blind, but our lives are blind to God's power. Our lives are blind to God's holiness. Like, even if I never gained my sight, would I be able to see you? for who you are? Would my life be changed because I've had a real encounter with God? And what I hate is that these men don't give up what they should have never started. So even now that they are physically blind, they're still trying to get into Lot's house. They're groping for the door. And it's like, you shouldn't even started that and you're still trying to see it through. Is your blindness not like pointing out to you that you should probably change your behavior? And they're not. Verse 12, the angels ask Lot, with haste, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in, in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place 
because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Yahweh has sent us to destroy this place. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughter. So they use the phrase sons-in-law, even though it's like engaged. But in this culture, they kind of already considered you sons-in-law. We know that uh, his daughters are virgins. So we know that they have not consecrated their marriage. They haven't been actually married yet. Um, but Lot went out and said to the, the two guys who are engaged to be uh, his sons-in-laws, he says, up. Lot is saying this, up. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Like, God, through the angels, is justly destroying a cesspool of violence. He is a great judge. And a great judge is not someone who looks the other way. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's a great judge. He always winks at sin and looks the other way. You'd be like, that actually sounds like a terrible judge. A great judge is active in bringing justice where there is injustice. Where there is injustice and the judge steps in and justice, that's a good judge. So you could even, you could do something terrible and say, hey, I met with a good judge. Oh, did they like look the other way? No, they actually gave me the just penalty of what I did. They're actually a good judge. They weren't overly hard or overly lenient, they were just. They're a good judge. So the people of Sodom want to gratify their most base flesh, even at the expense of great trauma for others. And for a reason that only God knows, Lot and his family are to be rescued from this. Stuff that Lot said, I'd be like, man, he deserves all that too. We'll see. God just wants to show some love to Abraham and is going to rescue Lot from this. And when the angels asked Lot, get any of your family out of here, Lot's daughters, he tries to get his future son-in-laws to flee and they just think he's joking. Like, I mean, it's deadly serious. What is being communicated to those two guys is deadly serious stuff. And they're like, whatever, didn't happen yesterday. Didn't happen the day before. This is all a joke. Look at you, you're such a joke. You're all worked up about this God stuff. And man, how often does that happen? How often does it happen that God is pursuing someone to rescue them? God is pursuing someone to rescue them, to rescue their lives, and they think it's just a joke. And man, like these guys are in for a rude awakening. Like seriously, I mean, within hours, they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, this is not a joke. This is happening in real time. It's too late for them. Um, I think, it, man, like God, I know this is a heavy chapter, but uh, I, I think it's a good chapter in the sense of where it can lead us to. Um, I, the time to take God seriously. Like when is the time to take God seriously? I think our culture would say like, oh, just right before the end, you know, live however you want and then take him seriously just that last second. Like you, you know, be in the right frame of mind and you'll know when the last second is and all that stuff. This screams at us, like the time to take God seriously is now. 
Like, when's a good time to take God seriously? Right now. Now is always the best time. You know, it's kind of like, I heard that about like planting like an oak tree. Like, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? 30 years ago, of course. You know, like, like where I live now is where I grew up. It's like, I should have gone around and planted trees. And now by the time I'm there, uh, there'll be these nice, big, beautiful trees. You know, the best time to ever plant is 30 years ago. The second best time is today, right? Like, okay, let's just do this right now. The time to take God seriously is always now. Verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. I mean, picture that. Like they're telling Lot, like the sun is rising. This place is going to be destroyed. You need to leave. And Lot's like, um, I'm gonna finish my coffee first. And um, he's lingering where the angels actually have to grab them by the wrists and actually drag them for their rescue. Verse 17, and as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Let me escape there. It is not, is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, the angel said to him, behold, I grant you this favor also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. I think why Lot lingers should disturb us. It's, it's truly disturbing why Lot is lingering. God has made it crystal clear. If they don't flee, they will be ruined. They have to flee. That's the only option. And Lot is lingering and this should not be. It should not be. Is he just so in love with that city, with his prestige in the city, with the, what he had built in that city that he just can't picture life outside of the city? But um, he's lingering. The angels actually have to seize him. They grab him by the hand. They drag them away from their destruction they, and they're totally clear, don't look back. Don't long, don't turn back, don't look back. Do not look back. I'm just saying, like, if God tells you something clear like that, if, if angels sent from God tell you something clear like that, it's foolishness to not take that seriously. Like, the time to act is now. Verse 23 the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities. And what grew on the ground, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Verse 27, and Abraham went early in the morning 
to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham, sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So God does exactly what he says he's going to do. The angels are sent to bring destruction and they justly bring destruction. Lot's wife yearns to go back and she is destroyed with them. Then the focus changes in verse 27 to Abraham. He wakes up early, he goes to where he can see and he sees this huge furnace of smoke just rising up. We're told that Lot is rescued from this judgment, this particular judgment, purely because of God's love towards Abraham. So Lot and his daughters, the three of them, Lot and his daughters have gotten out of Sodom. And I wish the story ended there. I'm like, that would have been, it still would have been a bad story, but I wish it ended there. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. We don't know why he's afraid to live in Zoar, but he is. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Should have gone to Abraham, repent, have been like, oh man, I've made such a mess in my life. Can the three of us come around you guys? You guys are walking with God. But instead, they go in a cave. He lives in a cave with his two daughters, verse 31. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth. Such a wicked lie. Our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him that, he may, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and laid with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Verse 34, then the next day, the firstborn said to the younger sister, behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. This is wickedness. This is total, complete, off-the-rails wickedness. These things should not be. And Lot seems to be kind of this like complicit victim of evil. You never see Lot like lead the charge in evil, but it seems to be like evil's always happening around him and to him. But I, see, I think what seems more accurate is because Lot is not actively pursuing God, because Lot is not intentionally fighting darkness, leading others to living out God's ways, his daughters are thinking very wrong thoughts. They're disconnected from reality, from truth, and Lot either doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't care, isn't leading. He's this guy, 
I picture Lot as maybe being this guy that when he's in church and around Christians, he sounds like a Christian and he seems like a guy who like walks with God. But when he's not at church, he's far away from God. Like I, I picture him being like the guy that when he's with Abraham, he kind of can talk the talk. But when he's actually all the rest of the time, he's not walking the walk and he is far away from God. And if you aren't actively resisting darkness, you're complicit in its multiplication. And it will multiply greatly from here as the Moabites and the Ammonites become continual enemies of God's people for hundreds of years. So Lot and his daughters got out of Sodom. This is kind of bringing it home to each of us too. Like Lot and his daughters got out of Sodom. They were rescued from Sodom. So Lot and his daughters get out of Sodom, but Sodom never gets out of them. Sodom is destroyed and they actually carry it on in their lives. They get out of Sodom, but Sodom never gets out of them. And man, some of us, we don't even know we're in Sodom or we're like, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be good. Let me tell you, every one of us, we have to get out of Sodom, but we also have to get Sodom out of us. And it's like, how do we do that? How do we get out of Sodom and how do we get Sodom out of us? There's a lot of areas we could go. There's a lot of things we could look at, but Galatians 5 um, encapsulates a lot of this in just two simple verses. Galatians 5 um, verse 22 says this. But the, so picture, and I know you don't even want to like picture everything that we've just heard, but kind of picture what we've heard and then see this as a contrast. And this was how I came to Jesus. I felt my life being so characterized by helpless darkness. I wanted to not live the way I was living and I felt like I had no power to actually persistently and continually change it. And then I started hearing and being around people that seemed like they actually had some power and things where I wanted what they had but I didn't know how they got to where they were. So I was strangely attracted to just figure out, like, guys, you gotta tell me what you're doing here because I know God and I know that I am not his. I'm not on his side. I am, I am in darkness. I just felt that. Here, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, third person of the Trinity, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's like, what if the men of Sodom were characterized by this? What if Lot was characterized by these traits? Goodness? It's like, I didn't read any goodness. Nothing that we were reading was good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled, patient, kind, peace, a bringer of peace, not a bringer of trauma. The fruit of this, it takes the Holy Spirit working in our lives where the fruit that comes from the work in his lives is we start seeing someone who it's like, man, you, when I see you now, I used to see a man of Sodom and now I see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And then it's like, how do we come by this? Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. So even a man of Sodom who belonged to a mob, belonged to homosexual desires, belonged to adultery, belonged to pornography, belonged to all of these things, when we belong to Christ Jesus and allow him to work in our lives, crucifying our flesh with its passions and desires, we don't belong to a mob anymore. We don't belong and find our identity in homosexuality. We don't belong and find our identity in adultery. We don't belong and find our identity in pornography. We don't belong and find our identity in each of our fleshly desires. And that could, that could go in all sorts of even of non-sexual desires and areas as well. The answer, the way to not be overcome by the desires of the flesh, the way to not be destroyed in judgment, the way is to belong to Jesus. Like that's it, <laughs> is to say, you know what, I, I belong to him. He is crucifying my flesh. He is crucifying my desires. And as the spirit empowers that to happen, um, I, I remember hearing a pastor friend of mine say that a guy came up to him and was criticizing another guy in the church. And he's like, man, I haven't heard a guy swear like that in a long time. This guy just like, his mouth is so just like every 10 words is like a swear word. It's just like really something. He's like, every 10 words? It's like, yeah. He's like, it used to be every word. He's like, that's amazing. That is so encouraging. Thank you for sharing with that. He is growing. You know? And the guy was sharing, just like, his flesh is being, he's got a long way to go, you know, as, as all of us do, for our life to look like Jesus. But the point of my friend was like, that was encouraging to hear because God is doing a mighty work in that guy that can only be explained by the power of God in his life and seeing the fruits of the spirit overflow in his life. And so, man, I, I wish I could just say push this button. I wish it would be easier just to say like, hey, if we just um, give this amount of money to the church every week or, or um, you know, just say these three things and clap your hands twice and poof, you know. Um, what scripture tells us, what God is inviting us into is Yahweh, a relational God who says, if you walk away from me, you're actually walking towards Sodom. And you might say like, well, I'll never be that bad. You're walking towards Sodom, your version of Sodom and destruction. Um, and you are way too loved for Yahweh to just um, be like, well, you're too bad for me. Um, the invitation, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done to other people, no matter if your only sin in your life is taking a pen from work, which I would argue that's not true, but um, not that that's a sin, but just like that's your only sin. Um, we are far worse off than any of us know apart from him. And the invitation to belong to Christ means we are far more loved than any of us know as well. And what communion is, is 
Jesus saying, I want to give you a tangible gift to belong to me. We belong to him just by, you don't have to come, to come up. You, you just, he's done all the work on your behalf, taking your judgment on himself on the cross. And then he defeated death, the death that they received justly. He unjustly took your death on him so that you can belong to him and find your life in him. And if that's confusing, um, I'd love to talk with you more about that or talk to other people around you about that. But if that's crystal clear, you're like, no, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. I'm listening and I wanna know him that way. I wanna belong to Jesus. All you have to do is say, I belong to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. Here's my sin. I want you. And I wanna belong to you. I don't wanna belong to darkness. So communion, um, if we have given our lives to Jesus, if we do belong in him, this is a beautiful way for us to just rest in his hands, rest in his presence, rest in the fact that, that we do belong to him. And so let's spend a few moments, what we'll do is just, just praying to him, uh, thanking him, opening your life up to things that he wants to teach us, um, and then come to the table, we'll come down the middle, um, our friends will serve you the Pelhams and just hold your hands out. They'll give you the bread and then wine or juice, obey your conscience and I'll lead us through that. So, so let's spend some moments. Let's come to him, uh, take the elements and then we'll re remain standing with the elements and we'll take it together as family. Let's come to him.